the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Tiger, tiger, burning bright, in the forest of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? That is an excerpt of a poem called The Tiger by William Blake. Hi, I'm Ben. Uh, Ben, it is I, Noel, and I have a query to pose to you. What does this poem snippet uh, have to do with today's episode? I am so glad you asked, Noel. Uh, Oh, Before we go any further, let's have a big hand. Uh, Everybody listening, just go ahead and clap by yourself for uh, our super producer, Casey Pegram. It's okay if you don't want to clap. Yeah, you know, just... You can snap. Just give him props mentally. Props in such a way as you feel moved to provide. But Ben, yes. props aside, mm. um, we're talking about tigers today? We are in a way. Mm. We are in a way. We are talking uh, about the Hanshin Tigers which is a sports team. We're also talking about urban legends. We're also talking about a, uh, a somewhat romanticized view of the American South, mm-hmm. which, we, you know, you and I both love a big old accent. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about Japan, and we're talking about a curse, Noel. Yeah, the curse of the colonel. And that's not just any colonel. That is the, uh, the standard bearer of greasy chicken legs, uh, the world over, as it turns out, Colonel uh, Sanders. Does he have a, a proper name? Yes, uh, Colonel Harland David Sanders, born in 1890. I think you mean Harland David Sanders. <laughs> oh, uh, do you mean Colonel Harland David Julep Sanders? Don't you try to out-southern me, Ben Bolin. Oh, I could chew this accent all day. Please like, don't. Like people, ice people and will, sweet tea. People will tune out. People will not have it. <laughs> 
<laughs> we want to hear, by the way, uh, your best uh, Southern accent impression. Yeah. If you record yourself, uh, write us a letter and include that. We'd love to hear it. Absolutely. But yeah, so we, that, we, we're mashing up. This is a mashup episode. This is uh, Ridiculous History, the mashup episode, wherein we mash together quite a few themes. You mentioned curses. We're talking about chicken. We're talking about the South. We're talking about Japan. Where do we start? Let's start in 1985. How about that? It was a very good year. It was a very good year, especially for the Hanshin Tigers. They're a baseball team in Japan, you see. They went on to win the Japan Championship Series, which is the equivalent of the World Series in Major League Baseball, and the fans went crazy. And I, I, you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but I feel like there's sort of a stereotype out there of the Japanese being very uh, reserved people. Um, They know how to keep it together and not uh, get carried away, shall Mm -hmm. we say? But this is a great example of a a stereotype buster in that these Japanese sports fans got quite carried away. And there was alcohol involved too, right, Ben? Yes, yes. This is another episode where we find a group of people... uh, misbehaving, uh, perhaps in part due to alcohol, perhaps just due to passions running high. Sports fever. Yes, yes. These drunken revelers took to a bridge in Osaka, the Ebisubashi uh, bridge. We should also note that Noel uh, and I are not native Japanese speakers. This is very true. A fact that will become increasingly apparent if it has not already been clear from the jump. I'll throw my hat into the mispronunciation ring um, in saying that the Ibisubashi Bridge is uh, a bridge overlooking the Dotanbori River, which is notoriously polluted. I'm not sure uh, today uh, if that's still the case, but back in 1985, not a very clean body of water. But that aside, these drunken revelers dove in kind of or jumped in off of the bridge. I'm trying to picture yeah. was, how, how, how far a jump are we talking here, Ben? They they jumped. Uh, it, it was a safe enough distance. It wasn't like jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Got it. Don't do it for kicks, by the way, uh, because you will break your legs no. easily. The, this was not going to be a lethal jump. Still, you're not supposed to do it. Still, you're dangerous. It's very much uh, a hold my beer situation is what we would call it today. But they were jumping in a pattern because – the the crowd was screaming out the names of the players on the Tigers. Mm-hmm. And every time they yelled the name of one of the players, someone who looked like that player or was perceived to look like the player. How do you think this idea came to the forefront? I'm still mystified, man. Like, how did they just think of the level of sophistication this game must have? Right. You know, how did this happen organically? Yeah. We're not anywhere near this level of revelry. No, and this is a very specific form of revelry, almost kind of a ritual that mm-hmm. they just invented out of whole cloth, I'm, I'm guessing. I've not seen evidence of this type of thing anywhere else. But yeah, like you're saying, so every time, they, I'm guessing the they were hearing the announcement from the stadium, or was it on a televised broadcast? It was after the game, right. so, so it sounds like it was people in the crowd. So the crowd would yell out, you know, Third baseman, Casey Pegram, and everybody mm-hmm. go, whoa. And yeah. then somebody who's like, I look kind of like third baseman, Casey Pegram. They, it's my turn to jump off the bridge. So you had to kind of like take it upon yourself to go forth when that name was called. Would hope so, because the alternative is that someone else points at a random person in the crowd and says, hey, he looks like third baseman, Casey Pegram. And then they grab him and throw him off the bridge. But 
it appeared to be um, all in good fun until they called the name of first baseman Randy Bass. Wait, Ben, that doesn't sound like a Japanese name. What gives? I'm so glad you asked uh, because you and I did a little bit of research based on that name. Mm -hmm. It turns out Randy Bass was an American on the team. Interesting. How did he find himself uh, playing for a, a Japanese team? Ooh, uh, he had spent six seasons in Major League Baseball with five different teams, and then his contract expired, so he expanded his horizons. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they made him an offer he could not refuse, I imagine. <laughs> and then he decided to uh, take up his glove, his mitt. He was a baseman. Mm-hmm. Take up a mitt, I guess, mm-hmm. Yeah, for the, the Tigers. He committed to the Tigers. And we're committing to the bit here. Yes. Yes, we really are. But yeah, so here's the issue, right? Immediately, if, if they're going for this uh, this gag or this bit that they're committing to, which they were committing quite hard, mm-hmm. of having to look like the player in question whose name is being called, that sort of threw a wrench into the works there when they called uh, Mr. Bass's name because, you know, there was nobody in the crowd, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. from the story at least it seems to be the case, that looked like a big uh, six-foot-something American Right. First baseman. And this was a snag for sure because, you see, when Randy joined uh, Japanese baseball, he became one of the most powerful hitters in the history of the game in in that country. So with him on their side, the Tigers shot through the championship. Mm. This guy was a big deal. He was crucial to the game. Yes. So, of course— In this very specific ritualized revelry. He needed to be represented. Right. Someone needed to be thrown off the bridge in his honor or to jump themselves. Yeah. Um, So what is a a drunken pack of sports fans to do, Ben? I propose that before we follow the rest of the story, we bring in an outside factor. Oh. A, A tangent, if you will. I love it. A tangy, crispy, crunchy tangent. How many herbs and spices does this tangent contain? I Is it 11? I don't know. It's, a, it's a secret. It is a secret. The number may not be a secret, but the uh, the specificity yes. spice-wise is. It's one of those things where they probably have two executives that carry half of the secret each, and they never let them be on the same plane. Like Coca-Cola? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken, by the way. We're talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken, or KFC as it is known today. The iconic red and white bucket, the vaguely creepy <laughs> plantation owner. I feel like the representation got creepy now. Big time. You know, they had Daryl Hammond, they had Norm McDonald do commercials. I think KFC advertising is sort of going down that same path that Burger King did years ago with their super creepy king with mm-hmm. the, you know, expressionless face kind of, uh-huh. looks like a serial killer mask kind of. Um, the KFC is doing that too with the colonel. They're sort of doubling down on his creepy factor. Yes. Because it's 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 just like, you know, it, it works, I guess, for like a memorable, weird commercial, as opposed to back in the day where I think it was sort of like, um, they, they, I felt like they, they shied away from it. Even getting rid of Kentucky in the name, KFC right. kind of replaced it because I think they were shying away from that image, right? Because it was a little problematic. Yeah, like the Learning Channel became TLC when they said, what are people actually learning on this thing? Right, exactly. Oh, that's a little shade. But yes, so... KFC, there's probably one in a town near you if you live in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Somewhere. It turns out KFC is phenomenally, extraordinarily popular 
in Japan. The first KFC opened in 1970 in Japan, and shortly after it opened, uh, the guy who was the manager of this, Takeshi Okawara, woke up at midnight and he had a dream that he had to write down and make into reality. He said, let's sell a party barrel. A party barrel, you say? Every Christmas, yes. Uh, you can read this, uh, you can read the full story of this in a great article by the BBC called Why Japan Celebrates Christmas with KFC by Eric Barton. Here's the rub. Every Christmas, an estimated 3.6 million Japanese families treat themselves to Kentucky Fried Chicken for Christmas. It's true. And we're going to get into more of these amazing Japanese phonetic uh, kind of pronunciations for mm -hmm. things. I'm just a huge fan of these. So they created – this became kind of a local tradition for this original KFC joint. But then the company realized this was a super smart move to sell Kentucky Fried Chicken in Japan. So they created this marketing plan and they called it Kurisamasu Niwa Kentucky or Kentucky for Christmas. I just love – Kurisamasu. <laughs> That's fantastic. And uh, these are spelled phonetically. Yes, as well. exactly. Um, and the idea being that it's creating a new tradition out of nothing because even though there are quite a large number of Christians in Japan, Christmas is not a nationally celebrated holiday. No. And there's really no national tradition around it. So these folks at KFC kind of saw a niche and they filled the crap out of it, didn't they, Ben? Yes, yes. There was absolutely no tradition, somewhat of a void, a niche, as you said, Noel. And <laughs> they they morphed it into more than just a single bucket of chicken. It didn't include just the breast and thighs. Now they came with these, uh, they came with Christmas cakes. They mm -hmm. included wine. They had sides. Uh, you could you could get the entry box for around 3,700 yen. That's about 32 bucks. Yep. Up to the premium one, which is about uh, 5,800 yen. And according to KFC, these Christmas packages alone make up about a third of the chain's yearly sales in Japan. It's insane. It's phenomenal. And you have to, like, reserve your package weeks in advance or risk having to stand in massive lines to get this. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. In this article, they actually talked to a local Atlanta chef. Yes, I know the guy, Kevin Gillespie. Kevin yeah. Gillespie. I, I've never been to any of his restaurants, but uh, I looked him up, and, and he seems like really tasty stuff. What, what's one of his spots called? Uh, Revival is oh, one. Oh, that's like a really hot brunch place, right? Yeah, yeah. He's a uh, James Beard award-winning chef. And they consulted him uh, for this BBC article, and he had a couple of good quotes. He said, if you brought a bucket of fried chicken to Christmas dinner, honestly, I'd be mad at you. Um, <laughs> and this is interesting because this is a very American perspective specifically surrounding Christmas because it's all about family. It's all about homemade mm -hmm. uh, comfort food. But in Japan, since there's no official holiday, a.k.a. time off work surrounding Christmas, probably about the best you can do to reserve that uh, KFC party barrel. Right. And this is not, you know, this isn't too crazy because there's a huge tradition of eating Chinese food 
in Christmas here in these states. Right. For example, within the Jewish community, uh, especially in New York, this came up a lot during our uh, Chinese food episode about the chop suey houses in New York. It became a huge tradition for Jewish families to have a Chinese dinner out on Christmas. Also because not a lot of other stuff is open. True. So we do see an analog here. And you may be asking yourself, uh, Ben, Noel, super producer, Casey Peckram, why? Why did you guys just start telling me about this granted fascinating story of yeah. chicken in Japan? Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going somewhere with this, folks, we promise. Back to Randy Bass. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, so we're going to join. We're going to rejoin our original story already in progress. It's all coming together. All coming together. So Randy Bass's name is called. Um, these drunken Tigers fans are looking around. They're looking for someone. They don't see anybody that even remotely resembles this hulking American man. Um, any living person. Any living person. But nearby, this is not something you see typically in the States, or at least I have not. Ooh, that's a good point. But yes. outside of... Kentucky Fried Chicken or KFC joints in Japan, you're going to find a a kind of, I think, a little bit macabre statue of Colonel Sanders himself leering at the passersby. Mm-hmm. Daring them. 
<laughs> to accept the challenge of chicken. Exactly, the chicken challenge. And they saw one of those nearby. It was it was as though it were written in the stars. They mm-hmm. saw one of these nearby, and they goes, that guy kind of looks vaguely American. And in Randy's defense, he does not look like Colonel Sanders at this time. Right, there was a little profiling going he, on. He's, let's, let's be, let's he's just also American. He's just also American. <laughs> um, did not have a little... Uh, Little little colonel beard. In fact, uh, in the article from How Stuff Works, Ridiculous History, The Curse of the Colonel, there's a fantastic side-by-side comparison. They did both have mustaches, though. Um, not, you know, Randy's was not pure white <laughs> and did not have the accompanying little pointed goatee, nor the little, what do you call that, a cravat? Mm. You have a little kind of a bow tie thing around. A string tie? A string tie, exactly. But yeah, so they, they uprooted this thing, right? They just yeah. ripped it out of the ground. <laughs> And then they carried it to the bridge, and they threw it into the river, and everybody presumably went, yay! And then I'm guessing there was a current, and it just got carried away? Because if these folks were hanging out in the river themselves and not just up to their necks in water, I don't think the statue would have sunk right away. It probably got carried away in the current Uh, of the river downstream, and then they lost it. It did, yeah, it did— apparently go under quickly and that might be due to current it's also it's got to be due to the weight of the statue as well probably weighed more than a person you think so i would have i would picture it as being hollow i don't think they would have been able to rip it out of the ground unless it was just kind of a hollow plastic shell that's a good point you know what we need to take an extra credit segment go to japan and get some chicken and investigate. I don't think that's in the budget, Ben, but we, we can talk to management about it. We'll see. Let's write to the Tigers because we're telling a story that they feel needs to be told. You see, after they threw the statue in and everyone went, yay, Tigers forever, world champions. Decades and decades went by. And to date, they have never won a championship again. And the Tigers fans will tell you that this is not simply a matter of being outplayed or having bad luck on the field. No, they believe there is something supernatural at work. They believe there is a curse. Yes, um, and it's what they refer to as, I only saw this printed one place, but it it definitely translates correctly as Kanuru Sandasu no Noroi, or the curse of Colonel Sanders. (laughs) Yes, the curse of Colonel Sanders. I I saw that as well. They... um, They believe that by committing this disrespectful act, the entity, the the, uh, non-corporeal Colonel Sanders. Yes, in the sky. The demigod of chicken. Right. All chicken fried has, uh, has decreed that they will be punished for this disrespect. And, you know, you have to wonder how much of this is just a joke, right? And how much people really believe it. Oh. Well, I mean, we'll, it falls in line with some other right. pretty serious superstitions that the, the that exist in Japanese culture, which we'll get to yes. in a little bit. And sports are uh, sports themselves are very rich soil for superstition. But after such a, a a strong showing, I mean, you know, the Colonel definitely brought down the hammer on them. Uh, the Tigers they just barely won anything at all. Their best finish was third. Uh, in 86 and in 1992, and they finished last a whopping eight times. Right. So it was exceptionally bad, not just not winning. No, no. It was it was demoralizing. The fans were utterly humiliated, and they concocted, I guess, among themselves. How does something like this spread? 
just by word of mouth. These people in the fan community, or their message boards. What are we talking? These here? people are great at improv, man. Yeah. How did they figure out this ritual so quickly? That's true. And then how did they say, "Oh, okay, well, here's the explanation." It also reminds me of one of those things where it's like a I, I know what you did last summer kind of scenario, where you and a close group of friends Ooh. commit a horrible atrocity, mm-hmm. and then you are punished for it later, and then you have to figure out how to like make it right. I hope someone feels like they saw the colonel. Exactly. You know? Can't you picture this though? Isn't yeah. this this should be a movie, and they should there should be a kind of Ringu or like the Grudge kind sure. of movie based around uh, uh, Kanaru Sandusu no Noroi. That could be the name of the movie. Yeah, and then we'll just translate to Curse of the Colonel for the American audience because they banded together to mm-hmm. make this right. Yes, they said just like we would imagine a Colonel Sanders esque figure. They said this injustice shall not stand, and. In two, but they, you know, they didn't say it with a southern accent. You don't know. Or they did. Maybe they did. Maybe they were cosplaying as well. So uh, they went to search for the statue. They went to the bottom of the river and attempted to recover it. And in 2009, they found a piece of it. I actually read too, Ben, that in one of these attempts, a 24-year-old fan named Masaya Shitababa uh, actually drowned. Mm-hmm. I read that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, th- this was no joke. They were, they were, this was not a lark. They were out to break this curse, right? Mm-hmm. As, as you were saying, Ben, they did find some success. Yeah. And in a way, in a very strange way, Noel, this death led to the discovery because after the death, uh, the community announced plans to build a new bridge that would make it more difficult to jump into the river from. That's right. And then they began constructing this in 2004. But while they were constructing a walkway in 2009 related to this new bridge, that's where they found the – they didn't find all of the statues, like the torso and the head uh-huh. and the arms, but not the hands. But there was no mistaking – that rictus grin of our <laughs> pal Colonel Sanders, even with the decay, mm-hmm. yeah, that was definitely him. So, you know, they were uh, reasonably overjoyed and decided they needed to find some of the other pieces. Yes, because what if, and I love this horror movie that you just pitched to me, what if they haven't appeased the angry spirit of the statue until they assemble it all you know they find the hands they find the glasses uh some fans were worried that until the statue was made whole again the tigers would never win another series and you know superstition and sports in general are super common even right here in in the states oh yeah 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 i think you might be referring to another famous curse my friend one that uh affects boston red sox fans the curse of the bambino Yes, yes, the curse of the Bambino, uh, where the Red Sox fans believed that their team was cursed for almost a century, 80 years for trading away legendary player Babe Ruth. Yeah, they probably just, you know, Babe Ruth was really good and they would have done better if they'd had him. I But I love the... Um, I love the high dramatic stakes from a storytelling perspective yes, of a curse. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've never encountered a curse... Uh, nor have I laid a curse upon someone because I'm, you know, I'm a, actually a really kind person. Right. But I would love to just be involved in like a curse type situation, like solving a curse. Would you curse like someone who really had it coming? Maybe some, maybe one of an enemy? 
I guess so, but I don't really have enemies. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, that's cool. I, I, don't, have... I don't either. <laughs> I wish you all could see Noel's <laughs> slight eye roll there. Uh, but yeah, I, I would like to solve a curse. And a lot of sports fans, of course, would like to do the same. We had an interesting quotation here, an observation from a sports columnist named Dick Harmon for writing for the Deseret News, who described athletes and superstition this way. Athletes, says Mr. Harmon, by their very nature tend to be superstitious, especially when it comes to preparing for events. I've seen players wear the same socks beneath their actual game socks, listen to the same song or music, eat the same food, hit the bathroom at the same time before going out on the court or field. I don't think this is hatched out of fear, but of comfort, not of jinxing themselves, but of setting their minds straight. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, ritual to me is all about getting in kind of a Zen state, you know, where you feel in control of your surroundings just mm -hmm. by virtue of doing something the same way. I, I personally am a creature of habit. I typically get the same things to eat at restaurants and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, take the same routes home. Even if there's a quicker route that my map is telling me, I'll typically go the way that I'm super comfortable with. And to me, that's a way of kind of doing all I can in the little way that I can to control my environment and my chaotic life. Right. The vast, incomprehensible uh, universe that cares not which way this great world spins. We must exercise some control over our existence. Uh, with podcasting, for instance, you know, I've been doing this a while. I, I've got rituals and it, we, as a cohort, collectively at House of Works, a lot of our podcasters have their own uh, rituals. Chuck used to do a thing, remember, with his cheeks? I, I didn't know about time. that one, no. <laughs> I know Robert Lamb has uh, a little squishy dinosaur that he brings in when he podcasts, mm. Robert Lamb from Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And I personally have been wearing the same pair of MeUndies uh, the entire time we've been podcasting. So. Yeah, and I respect you for that, you know. I think you've you've gone past the area of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. to You are cleaning up now, you know. Yeah, I, I do wash them occasionally. I've I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard. I can't remember why I heard that or how it came up in conversation, but I do remember hearing that. You're a very attentive listener, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. And likewise, my friend, uh, we thought this was fascinating because it's still in play. Like the yeah. Tigers fans will tell you. Did their fortunes turn around, though, Ben? That's the that's the kicker here. Well, we do know. We can't predict what will happen by the end of 2018. None can. None can. But we do know that things weren't completely bleak and dire mm -mm. for the Tigers. In fact, we had some good news in the early 2000s. That's right. They uh, they returned to the Japan series after 18 years away, and they had the best record in the Central League. <laughs> and um, many of these KFC outlets, uh, as sort of a precaution, I guess, in the area, in Kobe and Osaka, they um, personally uprooted their Colonel Sanders statues and moved them inside until the series was over, you know, yeah. to guard them against any potential uh, uh, desecration by overzealous Tigers fans. This is one of my favorite parts of the story now, though. Let's say that you are in, uh, <laughs> let's say that you are in the area and you want to eat at this iconic KFC. Mm -hmm. You can't because it's closed, but let's say you travel to the KFC headquarters in Yokohama. Uh, there, if you have permission from uh, KFC management, or if you're a VIP special guest, or you are an honored employee, you may be allowed 
to see the rescued colonel. And they found most of his parts, right? They found a lot of them, mm-hmm. yeah. But you can't, it's not viewable by the public. That's what's strange to me. Like, you can you can go in and see the origin of the curse, but only if you have special permission. Well, I propose that we pitch our uh, Curse of the Colonel horror movie to KFC Japan. Mm-hmm. And they could sponsor it. And it could just be like a really elaborate commercial for KFC. And maybe we can actually get some some of those chicken dollars to, to make this thing really hit. Also, also, here's what will sell them on it. Noel, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it'll be cross-brand promotion if they make special meals that are related yeah. to the tigers or to the curse. Yes. You know, uh, ghost pepper chicken, just off the top of the dome. Why not? Why not? Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel. Have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. You know what? I've got to say, man, uh, thank you for this one. I've really enjoyed today's episode. I did too. And we're going to wrap up just with a couple of of, of uh, interesting Japanese superstitions. Yeah, that because sounds we, great. We mentioned it earlier at the show yeah. that this is a thing. And they all have these amazing names. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, uh, one of them is it's apparently considered bad luck to cut your nails at night. Mm-hmm. And this 
tradition or superstition is known as Yoru Nitsume Wokite Wa Ikenai. Um, and apparently this is tied to the fact that in the olden days, um, there were no lights at night due to lack of electricity. And people believed that evil spirits would come around to your home at night and that when you cut your nails, because they imbue cutting tools of any kind mm -hmm. with a lot of um, power, and that when you cut your nails, you're creating a sort of a, a window between worlds. This comes up time and time again in yes. a lot of these superstitions. Yeah, yeah. And that if you do it at night, you're opening that window and one of these evil spirits or Akuryu could exit the netherworld through that or possess you. Mm -hmm. There's uh, there's also the uh, the one that happens if a funeral hearse drives past. Yes, sir. You have to hide your thumbs in a fist, mm -hmm. and that's because the word for thumb translates to parent finger, so it's symbolically hiding your parents from death. And if you don't, similar to the way there's the old superstition, step on a crack, yep. break your mom's back. Mm -hmm. This is uh, this is one where you hide your parents symbolically from death, and if you don't do it, your parents will die. That's right, and this one is known as Rakayusha Kara Oyayubi Wokakusu. Um, and then there's one that I think you'll like, Ben, where you shouldn't whistle at night. Yes, 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 you shouldn't whistle at night. Yoru no fui subeki de nai. And this one is more tied to a functional thing, right? Like uh, like not necessarily supernatural, although it may there may be some crossover. Yeah, uh, so back in the day in Japan, whistling was a sign used by burglars and other uh, ne'er-do-wells, mm -hmm. uh, other, other good old-fashioned nocturnal scumbags to mm -hmm. communicate with each other. Yep. So whistling is associated with intruders, thieves. It's sort of like that urban legend of, like, flashing your brights or something and how that's a sign mm -hmm. for gangs or something or, like, putting in your shoes in the power lines or I don't know. I'm, I'm reaching here. There are a lot of unlucky numbers, too, which is fascinating, especially – weren't uh did we ever talk about this off air i think there are a lot of buildings that don't have a fourth floor is that correct uh I, I don't know about that for sure but i know in the states there's no 13th floor right yes yeah yeah i know that four is an unlucky number because the word for four she closely resembles the word for death gotcha so what's a let's what's a good one what's an up one like a silly one yeah I don't know. I mean, it's, it's silly on the on the surface, but then it's also kind of morbid. Um, you know, you're apparently when it's bad weather, when there's lightning and uh, thunder, um, you are supposed to hide your children's midsections, their oh. belly buttons. Oh, specifically, yeah, yeah, that checks out yeah. as uh, as a former meteorologist. And that's because uh, the god of thunder, Raijin, uh, supposedly would eat children's entire abdomens or their their midsections. And he also had a little running buddy named Raiju who would nest himself supposedly in the belly buttons of children while they sleep. Uh, and this could lead to these kids being struck by lightning. That's right, because Raijin, in order to jostle his little familiar, I guess, from this little nest, would shoot him with a bolt of lightning. Right, naturally, right? Mm -hmm. This checks out. And then I assume eat the midsection. So do take care in storms. Uh, but as you know, we are all about self-empowerment, not just for ourselves, but for you, dear listeners. So you might be asking, hey, this curse thing sounds cool. How can I get in on this? Uh, how can I make a wish or make a curse? We'd like to introduce you to 
Oyakudu Mairi. Yeah, there's a ceremony even called Ushi no Koku Mairi, uh, where when you visit a shrine during a particular hour, sort of the Japanese equivalent of the witching hour, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. called the Hour of the Ox, which is between 1 and 3 a.m., um, you can start your very own curse. Right, yes. Uh, all you'll need to do is visit during the Hour of the Ox, bring a straw doll with you representing the person who will receive the curse and use a long nail to nail the doll to the shrine's holy tree. That's for cursing. That's not for a wish. If you're trying to wish someone success, don't. Don't do that. But there's a kicker, Ben, because mm. if you are witnessed making the curse, then that curse will visit itself on you tenfold. I added the tenfold part, but, you know, doesn't sound good. No, no, it doesn't. So this, th- these shrines are powerful symbolically. Maybe we should end on uh, how you make a wish. So we talked about making a curse, but we also mentioned making a wish. So to make a wish in a shrine, you must walk from a shrine's gate to its altar or from the gate to a main hall 100 times while praying for your wish to come true. If you want to increase your odds, walk barefoot. A little life pro tip there. A little life hack. Uh, alternatively, you can visit the shrine and make one prayer for your wish to come true each day for 100 days. That's the long game. This is only scratching the surface of some of the fascinating Japanese superstitions we found. And, and granted, there are a lot of fascinating uh, U.S. or Western superstitions as well. But at this point, we do not have a curse associated with Colonel Sanders. No. But, you know, that could change. Yeah. You know, the, the future uh, the future stretches before us vast and endless in its beautiful possibilities. What are some of your favorite Japanese curses? Can you think of any that could potentially be as outrageous and absurd as the curse of the colonel? We'd like to know. You can write to us at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. You can hit us up on social media where we are Ridiculous History on Facebook, Instagram, and I believe Twitter. And thank you so much for journeying with us as we stumbled through Japanese phrases. I feel like we should also thank Casey for this. As always, Casey, don't go changing. You're amazing. Thanks for being on the show. He keeps us honest. And and I didn't didn't notice him wincing super hard during any of those pronunciations. Mm. Um, But sometimes it's hard to tell. I think it might have been a baseball-related wince rather than Casey's into sports pronunciation. Well, maybe not American baseball. Oh, fair enough. Anyway, also, thank you to Alex Williams for composing our soundtrack. Yep, and most importantly, thank you to you for listening to the show. Um, We hope you'll join us for our next episode where we get kind of grisly with it. Yes, we are exploring gold in one of its most dangerous applications. (laughs) What will it be? Tune in to find out. In the meantime, on a personal request... If you guys have any great chicken recipes or you want to just send us pictures of chicken, please do it now. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. 
True story, the intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.